welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your copy of God's Word this morning, let's find the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Now, we have been in a series for some time now that we've entitled Against All Odds. This is our 14th message in the series as we have walked verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah. The people of God have been released from the 70 years of captivity there in Babylon. They have made their way back to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and they rebuilt the temple. Ezra comes along in the book of Ezra chapter 6, and after the temple has been rebuilt, proper temple worship is restored. Some years later, a fellow by the name of Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, has a great desire and a great burden to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls around that great city. After much prayer, after much fasting, Nehemiah makes his way back to Jerusalem and they accomplished an incredible feat of rebuilding the walls and hanging the gates on those walls in some 52 days. And as a result of this great accomplishment, when we come to Nehemiah chapter eight, there's great celebration that is happening because we're in the middle of a month that involves a lot of feasts and festivals that the Lord had commanded them to observe. And you'll notice that the people come to Ezra and they make that statement that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where they come to Ezra and they say, Ezra, bring the book. And for several hours every day during this month, the seventh month of the year, Ezra has stood and read the word of God for several hours. As a result of the word of God, the people in chapter eight got under conviction and they began to mourn and they began to weep and and Ezra went to them and said, now's not the time for that. Now's the time for celebration. We're gonna celebrate all that God has done. And I think that's a good word for you and for me, both individually and corporately. We can look back over the years and recognize that God has been very, very good to us as a church. We have seen wonderful things happen. People saved, people that have had their marriages restored, folks that have become sold out for the cause of Christ. And we've seen God do a mighty miracle in this place. And we too should take a few moments and just say, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Individually, we can also look back over our lives and see his great blessings. And it should cause us to do what the people of God did in Nehemiah chapter eight and just begun to celebrate. And Ezra reminded them that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So there ought to be some joy about the people of God, amen? And so as we come to chapter nine, the celebration is coming to an end and confession is about to set in. Revival is about to take place. And what we're going to discover this morning is after the feasts and the festivals and the seventh month was over, 
The people of God had a deep-rooted, deep-seated desire to walk in holiness. We've often come out of revival meetings and find ourselves going right back to our same sinful ways, but not these people. Now, they're not going to get it right from here on out, but on this day, they did get it right. After hearing the book read to them over and over and over, they have decided that they're going to live in complete submission to the Lord their God. And when you begin to live in complete submission to the Lord your God, you are experiencing what it is we're going to preach about this morning. When you're living in complete and total submission to the Lord your God, you will experience real revival. And this morning, I want to preach on that subject for just a few moments, real revival. If you got your copy of God's Word, let's stand together as we read Nehemiah chapter 9. I told the first service that I wasn't sure I would get past the first verse this morning, but since I got all the way to verse 3 in the first service, I got to get to verse 3 in the second service, and the church said... No, y'all said, no, you don't have to, preacher. Just keep an eye on that clock up there, amen? <laughs> Nehemiah chapter nine, real revival. Now in the 20 and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Heavenly Father, would you speak through your word this morning is our prayer. And at invitation time, Lord, I pray that it would be filled with conviction. And Lord, we would offer up a prayer to you now saying, Lord, whatever it is you put your finger on that is in my life that needs to be dealt with, I commit to you today that I will deal with it. Lord, if there are things that I need to separate from, Lord, I want to commit to you today that I'll be obedient to what it is you instruct me to do through your word and through the preaching of your word. Lord, touch hearts like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Real revival happens when there is contrition and confession of sin. And I want us to consider the narrative of Nehemiah this morning and allow it to challenge us to not be people that just go through the motions. We can all find ourselves there at times, even in our own Bible reading time, in our own prayer time, and even when we gather together corporately, we can all find ourselves in a place of just going through the motions, of checking off our religious duty for the day and moving on. And if that's how we have our walk with Jesus, we will never experience real, true, genuine restoration and revival that the Lord desires for you to experience. Because many of us at times have just gone through the motions, but going through the motions does not result in real revival because real revival impacts the way you walk. 
Real revival will impact the way you talk. Real revival will have an impact on our families. Real revival will have an impact on our communities. Real revival will have an impact that is lasting. Real revival will drive us to the word on a consistent basis. Real revival will cause us to live out what it is we say we believe. And the question becomes then, how do we experience this real revival? But let me ask you a question before we answer the question, how do we experience real revival? Let me ask you this question. Do you desire to have real revival? Because there's first got to be a desire because we're getting ready to see some things that are going to be required if you're truly going to experience heaven sent, Revival. So if you got your pen and pad and you're taking notes this morning, I see, first of all, the solemn assembly. The solemn assembly. In verse 1, watch what happens again. In the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were what? Assembled. They were assembled. They gathered together. This is the 24th day in a row they have gathered together. They've once again come together for a time of worship. They knew that there was something that happened when they were together that did not happen when they worshiped alone. I believe that's one of the reasons that the writer of Hebrews reminded us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's just something that happens when the people of God gather together that doesn't happen when we are worshiping individually with our Bibles open in prayer to the Almighty. Now, should we find a place of private prayer? Absolutely, we've been commanded to. Should we find a place of private Bible study and, 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 and worship with the Lord? Absolutely. But we've been commanded also to gather together because there's something that happens here. It doesn't happen anywhere else. I mean, we begin to sing about living hope. Good gracious alive. I'm standing down there about to have a spell. I turn around and glance at y'all every now and then. And I can see some of y'all was about to have a spell too. And I just wish you would every now and then. But isn't it good to be together with brothers and sisters in Christ? Because there's just something that happens here that doesn't happen when we're by ourselves. So thank you for your faithfulness in being in the house of God. This is one of the steps to real revival is assembling together. But he said this, you ought to do it much more. As you see the day approaching, I believe the day of the Lord is soon approaching. And I don't need less church, I need more, amen? amen. Gathering is powerful. Now for those of you in the room, give me just a moment. Some of you that are watching via live feed, some of you that are watching via Facebook, COVID came and you began worshiping at home. And you've never got out of the habit of worshiping at home. It's time for you to get back up, put your britches on, and get to the house of God. Now, some of you can't because your health won't allow you to. Some of you can't because you're shut in. And we're thankful that you are a part of the live streaming service. 
But if you can be here and you choose not to, there's an issue in your life that needs to be dealt with. Because you go to Longhorns, you go to Walmart, you go to Cabela's, you even go to Cato's. But for some reason, you can't come to the house of God. Church was never meant for you to be a part of the church in front of a screen. So it's time to gather together because there's something that happens here that doesn't happen. Let me ask you a question. Let's just, let's just get real honest with each other. Okay? Let's just, get, let's just get brutally honest for a minute. You're on vacation. The waves are crashing right outside that sliding glass door in the condo that you're staying in. Maybe that house that you've rented for the week, it's got the big old window, man, and you're looking at, and it's Sunday morning. And y'all say, hold on, let me get my iPad real fast. And you get your iPad out, and you put it up on the screen. I'm thankful that you do that. There's a reason we make that available to you, but let me ask you a question. Is what you're experiencing right then anywhere close to what you experience when you're sitting in here? No, no. Because there's something that happens when we come together. And so they assembled. And listen, they assembled 24 days in a row. Hello. Ezra stood and read the word of God for hours. And then they spent hours in confession and worship. We'll get there in just a minute. I want to be a church that's like the psalmist in one, Psalm 122 and verse 1. It says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There's a solemn assembly, and there's a few things I want you to notice about this assembly. I got to hurry. Number one, notice the day of the assembly. It's the 24th day of the month. Now, this is the same month, the seventh month that we referred to over in chapter eight, where all of these feasts and festivals were taking place. And every day of these 24 days, Ezra stood and read the word of God to them for hours. And they've observed the feast of trumpets on the first day of the month. They observed the day of atonement on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the 15th through the 22nd of the seventh month, they observed the feast of tabernacles. And here they are, two days after the end of the feast of the tabernacles, they have assembled again because there's a sacrifice of time that will be required if you're going to experience real, true, heaven-sent revival. But many of us are unwilling to give much time in assembling together in order to experience real revival. He said, Pastor, how can, you, how can you make this statement that many are unwilling to give much time to assembling together in order to experience real revival? We'll come back tonight at six o'clock. Well, that didn't go over real well. <laughs> Might be because it's true. Come to our Bible conference, October the 1st through the 4th. We set, this, we set this aside every year. It's the first week of October every year. I love ball. Nobody loves basketball, baseball, football. Nobody loves it more. Well, maybe some people are crazier about tonight, but I love it. And I ain't mad at you. But we'll often miss a service 
to get to a ball game. I ain't mad at you about that. But here's what I'm gonna ask you to do just one time. Miss a ball game in order to be at church. Let it go the other way. I remember years ago, I was helping coach a basketball team. I was helping Coach Campbell and they were trying to find a place to practice. We couldn't find a place to practice and they needed to practice on a Wednesday night. And Coach Campbell said, I don't have much, I don't have much uh, gym space and we're limited on time. Can y'all come late afternoon on Wednesday? Can we start, can we start practice about six o'clock on Wednesday afternoon? I know that's different, but can we do that? And about six of the guys said, no, we ain't coming. We got church on Wednesday night. And the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I said, praise God. You know what Coach Campbell said? Then y'all go to church, man. Y'all go to church. Now they don't nobody care about Wednesday nights anymore. Man, they, they schedule stuff on Wednesday nights. I don't get off on that. It used to be that... Never mind. Oh, oh man, y'all gonna make me go there. It used to be we used to revere Wednesday nights. You, we wonder why people are going crazy in the schools. Y'all got them five days a week. We get them one night a week and you want us to straighten them out. You won't even let them come on that one night anymore. You've scheduled everything in the world. You're going to have a banquet, you're going to have it on Sunday night. You wonder why these kids ain't getting, oh man, alive. I did not say this in the first service and y'all have gotten me off on this. Let's stay with the book. Not my opinion. Oh, that's my opinion. Let's stay with the book, all right? There was a <laughs> y'all be quiet. There was a day of assembly. So man, they gathered together. And they gathered every day. And for hours, they devoted some time. If you're going to have real revival, it's going to take a commitment of some time. There's the day of the assembly. Notice the diet for the assembly. They were assembled with fasting, the Bible says. In chapter 8, there was feasting. In chapter 9, there's fasting. Now, there's nothing wrong with feasting because God ordained all of those feasts. And while we enjoy the feasts, boy, we rarely enjoy the fast. Amen? But if we're to experience real revival, it can't be all feast and no fast because fasting is part of the equation. And we rarely, if ever, curb our fleshly appetites in order to be better prepared to do the work of God. And that word fast just speaks of doing without some of the necessities of life to focus on spiritual necessities in your life. If you're here today and you're interested in fasting and you've thought, well, I don't really know that much about it. I'd love to share with you a little bit of information about it. But listen, just take one meal. Just take one meal. And instead of eating during that meal, spend some time in prayer during that time, you will be amazed at the closeness that begins to happen with your prayer life and the, the sweetness that begins to take place in your fellowship with the Lord. Because we deny physical satisfactions in order to enjoy spiritual satisfaction. Jonathan Edwards, many of you have heard him. A great preacher that was used mightily of God during the first great awakening in this country. Most people would tell you that we're 
around him, if you read what they said about him, they would say about Jonathan Edwards, he was a pipsqueak. That he was a man that preached in a monotone voice. And he held his Bible and his notes in front of his face. And he spoke very monotone. And he didn't want people to see his facial expressions. He was best known for preaching a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And in that squeaky, monotone voice, people would have to strain to hear him, they said. This was a man of no eloquence, no charisma, but it was said that when Jonathan Edwards would preach, strong men would grip the pew in front of them. They would, they would wrap their arms around the columns of the church, fearing they were falling off into hell as he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Untold thousands were saved as Jonathan Edwards preached this sermon around this country and especially up in the Northeast. You say, here's a pipsqueak of a man that preached in a monotone voice that held his notes up in front of his face when he preached and untold thousands were saved. What was the secret to his power? If you read his biography, you discover that Jonathan Edwards, every time he would preach this message, for three days he would not eat and he would not sleep. He would spend three full days, 72 hours on his face before God praying before he would preach this sermon because he knew the spiritual condition of the people that he would be preaching to. And they said he could barely at times get up the steps to the platform because he had become so weak. And see, we put all of the emphasis on the physical so many times. Food was unimportant to him. Sleep was unimportant to him, but prayer was monumental to him. And he denied the physical in order to experience the spiritual. And here the people of God have assembled themselves together and they have fasted because they so desire to see a move of God like never before. I would encourage you today. Find a place of setting aside your physical appetites for just a period of time and focus on some spiritual things and allow God to speak to you in a way like maybe he never has. During the solemn assembly, there's the day for the assembly. There's the diet for the assembly. And then finally, real quickly, there's the dress for the assembly. It's right there in the last part of verse one where it says sackcloth and earth upon them. Now sackcloth was a rough, coarse, itchy material People would often wear it when they were in great sorrow or in a place of repentance. Putting dirt on your head or earth on your head was also a sign of repentance. And for the people of God, it was an outward sign of inward sorrow. It wasn't a fashion statement, it was a faith statement. And what they were displaying was complete humility before God. So they've assembled themselves together. They've been consistent in their assembly. They've been consistent in their fasting. They've been consistent in their repentance. And that is part of the formula to experience real revival. There's the solemn assembly. Secondly, there's the separated 
assembly. Look at, look at verse two with me. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. If you're gonna experience real revival, if you're gonna experience true and real revival, there's gonna have to be often some separation from those things and those people that sometimes hinder us. Now, I'm not speaking about isolation. I'm talking about separation because we must follow the example of Jesus and go where the sinners go in order to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. After I baptized in the first service, I was making my way around and I got over here right in front of higher grounds and I, I was walking by and I was in a conversation with somebody and I heard somebody say, well, good to see you too, preacher. And your bo- as a preacher, your, your, your spirit leaves your body when you hear somebody say that because you've just walked past somebody, you've offended them. And I stopped and I turned around and it was Bob Merritt. And he's sitting at one of the tables out here with uh, Barry Lusk. And so I turned around and went back and said, hey, Bob, good to see you. Hug is next. I said, uh, you do know who you're sitting out here with, don't you? And everybody in the community in these big old windows sees you sitting at this table with Barry. And here's what he said to me that fast. He said, preacher, read your Bible. Jesus sat with sinners too. I'm just trying to sit with a sinner. And he did. But as a child of God, when you have found yourselves around people that are pulling you farther away from God than they are pulling you towards God, it'd be time to separate yourself. When you're around people that are having a greater influence on you for evil than you are on them for good, it's time to separate yourself. See, when you got a certain vocabulary with this group, but you got a different vocabulary with this group, there's some, t- there's some people you need to separate yourself from. There's a group of friends that y'all go and y'all do certain things you know you ain't supposed to do. And then you got this group of friends that you don't do anything that those people over there do. But when you're with these friends, you're just like they are. They having a greater impact on you than you are on them. So what you're going to do if you're going to truly have a real revival, you're going to separate yourself. Because they're dragging you farther down than you can, drag, than you can pull them up. Right. That's right. I'm going to preach right here for just a minute because I feel like I'm in some fertile soil. All right, parents, y'all ready? Y'all help me right here. All right? You dating somebody? Your children's dating somebody that's pulling them farther away from God than they are pushing them towards God? You know what they need to have? Some separation. Now, if you're married, you come see me. We'll do some counseling. We'll get through this. But if you're dating and Coolio or Coolia, whichever one, <laughs> is pulling you away from God, have a nice day. That's good. That's good. Well, I feel like that's good preaching anyway. <laughs> a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. When you're trying to ride the fence and you got one lifestyle over here with this group of friends and one lifestyle over here with that group of friends, you rest assured you will never experience real revival. As a matter of fact, you'll probably have a negative impact on those that are lost, that you're acting just like they are, and their blood will be on your hands. Boy, 
That's a hard message, ain't it? Second Corinthians chapter six and verse 17 says, wherefore come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord. Let me just say this and I'll move on. You know who you need to separate yourself from. You know who it is you, you, that, that drags you down and you find yourself doing stuff you know you shouldn't be doing when you're in that crowd. It's that crowd you need to separate yourself from. Now, I'm not talking about shunning sinners. Please hear me. I'm not talking about shunning sinners, but I'm talking about separating yourself from people that would cause you to live unclean and do that that is unwise. Real revival will demand that you separate yourself. There's the solemn assembly. There's the separated assembly, but then there's a steadfast assembly. Look at verse two. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They were not attempting to cover up their sin. They were too busy confessing their sin. And here it says they repented of the iniquities of their fathers. Now, they can't repent for their father's sin. They're just acknowledging a historical fact that they're in sometimes the mess that they're in because of the previous generation. But if we'll get busy confessing sin, we'll see God move in a great way in our life. I heard about a guy that came to see his pastor and he said, Pastor, I can't sleep. My conscience is bothering me. I can't seem to sleep at night. And the pastor said, well, what's going on? He said, well, I committed a sin a little while back and I can't seem to get past it. Keeps me up at night, bothers me all the time. And the pastor said, well, sir, have you confessed that sin? And he looked at his pastor and he said, pastor, I've confessed it a thousand times. And that wise pastor looked at that parishioner and he said this, then you've confessed it 999 too many times because you need to confess it once. And then those other 999 times, thank God for his forgiving power. Some of you, the enemy beats you up about what you used to do or something that happened previously in your life and you can't seem to, to get past it and it keeps you up at, up at night. I want you to know 1 John 1, 9 is still in the Bible that, that, that if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins and to, or to forgive our sins and to what? Cleanse us from what? all unrighteousness. Some of you been up at night. You can't experience real revival because you are, you are steadily replaying that sin in your life and it, and it just dominates your thinking sometimes. And I want you today, if you've already confessed that sin, you've repented of that sin. I want you today to not find a place in an altar and confess it again. I want you to find a place in an altar and just say, Lord, thank you for your forgiving power. Thank you that I can stand clean before you because real revival will not come until there's true confession of sin and you understanding as a believer that Jesus really does cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe today, as you study these folks that confess their sins, you could pray the same prayer that the psalmist did. This is a prayer that I have highlighted in my Bible that I read very regularly. It's in Psalm 139. Verse 23, it says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It could be today that 
you desire to experience this revival that I'm talking about, and you just simply don't understand why it's not happening. It could be today you need to fall in an altar and just say, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. He says, evaluate me, examine me, and then whatever it is, Lord, you put your finger on, allow me to deal with it. Real revival comes. There was a solemn assembly. There was a separated assembly. There was a steadfast assembly. But then finally, there was a standing assembly. Let's just read verse three quickly. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one fourth part of the day and another fourth part of the part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. When they had finished confessing, their actions demonstrated that they had a sincere desire for real revival. How so? Well, there was subjection to the scriptures. Now in that culture, they divided a day into 12 hours. So Ezra, think about this. On the daily, Ezra would stand and read the word for three hours. And then they would go spend three hours in confession and worship. Could we all agree that we are all in such a hurry? Ain't we? Why? There's a great song that a real spiritual group called Alabama wrote one time. When I'm in a hurry to get things done, I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and I don't know why. Now, they're not spiritual, but that is true. How many of us find ourselves there? We're in such a hurry. And the guy standing in front of you today, probably one of the things that I could do a whole lot better job of brother Jeremy is not being in such a hurry because when we get in a hurry we're asking God to get on our schedule rather than us being on his man if these guys had six hours a day that they would listen to the word of God and then spend time confessing and worship. Surely I can find a little bit more time to do the same. Surely we all could find a little bit more time to do the same. Because what the Lord has really impressed on my heart through these verses is this. If there's going to be true, genuine, real revival, it's going to take an investment of time. Some time gathered together some time in confession, some time in repentance, some time in worship. And it'd be subject to the scriptures. Not only were they subject to the scriptures, they were in submission to the sovereign. They continued to stay clean through the confession. And then they connected through worship. Let's go back to the very beginning. 
you're saved and you know it, let me ask you a question. Do you have a desire to experience in your own walk with God true, heaven-sent, sin-killing, sweet revival? Is there a time in your life that you can look back and see that your relationship with Jesus was sweeter and sweeter and sweeter than it is today? The old time preachers used to say, we pray for everybody else to experience revival. We pray revival come to our church. We pray revival will come. The old time preachers would say this, won't you just draw a circle and get in it and say, Lord, Send revival to the person standing in this circle. Because I need it. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. And so if there's a genuine desire, I think that's a good thing. If there's not a desire to experience true, real revival, there may be some other things you need to get taken care of first. Maybe a sin issue that needs to be confessed. But Mount Pisgah, it's going to take an investment of time, corporately and individually. It's going to take some of us separating ourselves from some things we need to separate ourselves from. And then it's going to require us to be subject to the Word of God. I pray God send real revival to every single one of us in this place individually that then it might spill over corporately. And we see a move of God in this place that spills over into this community like we've never seen before. But it's going to start with one. You're going to be that one? Could be you just need to find a spot in an altar and pray Psalm 139. Lord, search me. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and then lead me into the way everlasting. Some of you may be here in you've never been saved. Revival is not what you stand in need of. Resurrection is what you stand in need of. And if you're here and you don't know your final destination, you don't know your eternity, God's been dealing with you about your eternity. You come, put your hand in mine, just say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. I don't need revival. I need to be saved. I'd love to take the precious word of God and show you how you can leave today knowing heaven is your home. Is there a desire for genuine revival? As we stand to our feet, let's find a place in an altar this morning and say, God, here I am. Start it with me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Lord Jesus, I pray that during this invitation time, folks, Lord, would be quick to respond to you And Lord, we would 
draw that circle, get in it and pray God send revival to the person standing in this circle. Do the work that only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as we sing. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.